Hello and welcome to the new episode of Frankly Speaking within Franks and Friends. I am Lynn Franks, your host, and in this episode I am speaking to my very good friend, the talented, most talented singer-songwriter Sarah Jane Morris. Sarah Jane and I have worked together with many projects over many years and it has been a delight remembering them all from What Women Want, which was in 95, Artists Against Apartheid, Red Wedge with the Labour Party and many others. So you'll be hearing about that and also her very exciting new project, The Sisterhood. Enjoy. So I'm delighted to be here on my Frankly Speaking podcast today with my very good friend, Sarah Jane Morris, extraordinarily talented singer-songwriter. And we've been friends for a long time. So welcome, Sarah Jane. How long have we been friends? We, I think we met in probably about 1984. So that was Red Wedge, wasn't it? It was Red Wedge. Actually, no, we met, I think we met before then, you know, because I think we met up at the Edinburgh Festival when I was with the happy end. Oh my goodness, I think you're right. I mean, this is the thing that my memory is so bad and I'm talking to friends like you that I've known for so long and so well and we've come in and out of each other's lives, but mostly in so many years. And I think, my goodness, Edinburgh Festival in the 80s, early 80s. Yeah, and then, of course, we reunited through Red Wedge. And we'll talk a little bit about yeah. Red Wedge in a minute, yeah. which was a very interesting concept, actually, uh, at the time. And it could still be an interesting concept, which was a group of musicians who came together with the Labour Party at the time, uh, who cared passionately about having a change in the world and went on tour and you were very much part of that, not only talking about how they felt about society, but also how, you know, using your music as a way to communicate. Absolutely. And trying to get the young, young, young people to be interested in getting involved in the change. Yeah. Yeah. Young people. We're not voting. I'm not sure how interested they are now, really. But it's time to bring the Red Wedge back. So there was yourselves, Jimmy Somerville, Billy Bragg. Paul Weller, Junior. Madness got involved. Lorna yeah. G. The wonderful Rhoda Dacker was involved. From right. uh, Amazing, uh, amazing group of people. Yeah. So yeah. I have said to you in advance of this chat that I would like to start off and finish by playing some of your music because I know an awful lot of people have heard of you. You've got huge amounts of fans, but some people might be their first introduction to the incredible voice, the blues, soul, jazz voice of Sarah Jane Morris. And so I would like you to choose a track and explain why this would be the track you'd like to start this podcast off with. Okay. Well, if people haven't heard of me before, I think I'd like to be seen in a very positive light. I have become the writer of the human story. And some of those songs I seduce with the music and then the heavier lyric is there, but it's there if you want to listen to it. But we'd, we'd love to uh, introduce a new audience to my music through this song that I wrote for my mother. In the last stages of her life, she was a glass half full woman. Her name was Joy. She was born in Somerset. And... She had such positivity, even though she had an incredibly difficult life. I had six brothers. We didn't have much money. She, it was a very trying time. Her whole life was trying to her, but yet she smiled always. And this song is about being connected to those that you love, wherever they are, whether they be dead or alive. It's called Feel the Love. Beautiful. Thank you. Feel the Love by Sarah J. Morris. 
That was very moving and very beautiful. So we were talking just earlier about Red Wedge and your whole story's been incredible. So Happy End was the first band that you were in? No, the, the first band was The Republic. And um, The Republic was an African-Caribbean Latin band. And I got involved with that. I, I was 
I just left drama school and with a chip on my shoulder, I'd got a dad in prison. He went to prison when I was 17. And, and in fact, that was what led me into joining Amnesty International because I wanted to know about other families whose father or mother or brother or sister or aunt or uncle had been removed for what they believed in. And, um, and I studied Brechtian theatre and then I went to the London School of Speech and Drama and um, a central school of speech and drama, beg your pardon. But after that, I, I didn't complete my course. I felt like that everybody was the son or daughter of someone famous and I'd just got the father in prison and the chip on the shoulder. So I started singing purely to get my equity card. I had no history of singing. I'd never studied music. Yeah, this is a real accident. So uh, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. But I became friends when I was in Stratford Maven doing this Brechtian course with John Machkisa. John Machkisa was a black South African actor who'd been asked to write the lyrics for this new band that had been set up in, in um, London. And several of the people forming the band were from Dartington, so uh, it was it was quite a uh, it was a good beginning, and they were very politically engaged. And so he said, "Look, they want me to be the singer too, but I'm not sure about it. Will you sing with me?" So I got uh, involved through that. He wrote the brilliant these brilliant lyrics. Our first single was "Anti the Malvinas War," called "Don't Believe It's in Your Interest." Our second single was about the royal family. I think you could imagine our take on that too. <laughs> and and uh, it was at a time where Capital Radio had just started oh, yes. out. Yeah. And at that point, it hadn't really established what it was. So they picked up on us where Radio 1 totally removed us because of the content of the song. Thatcher was in, in power. You know, this was not uh, anything uh, that was praising Margaret Thatcher, this song. And... Um, they picked up on us. Then the, what was it? Yorkshire TV did a documentary on us. We were the front cover of the NME. We were the band that was supposed to happen. We also were the cover of City Limits. Do you remember? Yes, absolutely. That was such a good, uh, good magazine. And, um, the reason we didn't become hugely successful was because of the political content of our songs, but we were signed to Charlie Gillett's label. Wow. And um, it was a very interesting time. And that's actually also when I met the wonderful Eddie Reader. We became friends and we were both in a band together, a Ghanaian band together called Fufu and Light Soup. Oh, so that was the beginning of her and my friendship too. She was living in a prefab in South London and I was living in Brixton in a hard-to-let council flat. I remember, so, I remember yeah. the flat. <laughs> yeah, you do remember the flat. You came there many a time. You made it look very magical, but... <laughs> it was hard, it was hard-to-let flat. Amazing. <laughs> so that then led, the Republic split up eventually, and um, half, well, two or three of us joined the Happy End, which had already been established by Matt Fox and Glenn Gordon, and it was a 25-piece big band uh, making politics swing. And we did a section of a section dedicated, uh, to Chinese music, which we called Ma uh, Mao Tse Tung in cheek. We did a whole, uh, section for, uh, South American music. Uh, we did Irish music. We did a lot of Kurt Weil and Hans Eisler. And it was a brilliant combination of men and women 
some of whom had literally just bought their instruments. So they were learning on the job. And we knew that the audience that came to see us would become friends. I mean, we all had that in common. We were playing places like the Diorama, the, the Hackney Empire. There was a fantastic circuit called the Variety Circuit, which was where, you know, so many of the, the now big comedians started out. Joe Brown was doing that. Mark Steele, all of these people came out of this circuit too. We were all doing this together. And where is it all now? That's what oh, I want to know. Gosh. Where, what, so we so need it now. We so need it now. I mean, just thinking about all these talented young people who have got a story to say and, a, and they've got a point of view and a statement. And, and we need it. We need that creativity and that culture and that music back in society, but making their, this, making a statement. So that's where we're at. So I, yeah, I mean, I saw Happy End. I saw you perform in a number of places at that point. And as I said earlier, we were working together with Red Wage with a number of musicians in the Labour Party touring the country. I was doing the PR. Let me just make that clear. I was not on the stage singing. I was doing the PR for Red Wedge on behalf of the Labour Party. And it was absolutely the first and probably the last time anything exciting had been going on in this country using music and musicians and, and young people in a really rootsy, you know, genuine way as opposed to being sort of bought in and put on some smart platform. It was it was fantastic. Um, and, and by then you had, in fact, become a singer-songwriter. You'd gone from the acting to that stage and uh, would it have been about them that you got together with Bromsky Beach what year was well, that so what what happened was um uh with the happy end we got very involved with the minor strike and Matt uh met up with uh, a Kent Miner's wife uh who had written these brilliant lyrics uh and he did an amazing arrangement and we recorded it and became the anthem for the minor strike coal not doll and uh, it was through, it was through at the same time, Jimmy Somerville with Bronsky Beat and with Richard had got very involved with the minor strike. So we were both running parallel, doing our bit. And um, his best friend uh, was Mark Ashton, who eventually came on tour with us. But Mark Ashton was the person that they made the film Pride about. Was that the film about the... The Pride community and the, uh, that was on quite recently with the miners, how they worked yes. together. So that was Mark Ashton. That okay. was Jimmy's best friend. Was, oh, that was such a great film. It was a fantastic film. And actually they captured him really well. Yeah. Uh -huh. And he was such a dynamic man and he, he died very early of, of AIDS. Oh. And, uh, you know, we need the Mark Ashtons of this yes. world. That's what we need. He was such a revolutionary and he was very involved with Gay's the Word bookshop. And what happened was Richard Coles had been one of my brother's good friends because they'd both done the same drama college, the Brechtian drama course, but years after me. They were four years younger than oh, me. All right. So, the Reverend Richard Coles, as he The knows, Reverend Richard Coles. Yeah. And so anyway, Richard had joined the tail end of Bronsky Beat, brought Jimmy along to see me at this minor's benefit because my song with the Republic I did a mock operatic song. It was quite a controlling song. It was called My Spies. And I sing it, I sang it sort of, My spies are in position round your house. So I was singing like that, but it was with this Middle Eastern dance beat. And it became very big in the dance, in the gay clubs. 
So Jimmy, Jimmy was convinced I was a man singing this. <laughs> and Richard said, no, you've got to come and meet her. She isn't. And that's how we met at this minor's benefit. And we then decided to do something together. And Gay, I was living in Brixton. Gay's the word bookshop were doing a big benefit at the fridge across the road to me, which I'd opened with the happy end. And um, so we decided to do something together. And what we decided to do, because he was busy promoting his first single, he and Jimmy. They had no time. It was before mobile phones and, and things like that. And I remember ringing him up and saying, I know we're going to do something together, but I kind of need a little bit more than five minutes notice about what it's going to be. Uh, can I make a suggestion? So I suggested that we duetted Billy Holiday's Lover Man because he and I sort of Talk singing about the same man, I thought would be quite camp and funny. So they said yes to this. I sent uh, the music to Richard, but the first time we ever did it was on stage in front in front of you know a thousand wonderfully camp gay men and the record company <laughs> London Records. And Jimmy and I were for because we didn't know the lyrics. We were passing the page back and forth. We were very camp, and the audience went crazy. And the record company saw that this was essential yeah and suddenly i was asked to go to america to record the album with them it, it happened very very quickly i'd never been i think i'd once been abroad yeah i had in the very beginning of my career i moved to italy and i i joined um, an italian rock band they wanted an english janis joplin so uh, that's which, the first and of course, time which I'd is gone still abroad. your huge market Yes, so yes, many thousands and thousands of fans in Italy. Yes, thank goodness yeah. for Italy. Yes, thank goodness for Italy. Anyway, <laughs> but so I'd only got to... I'd only got that one, the, you know, the 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 cardboard passport, the one year passport, you know, because I'd never been properly abroad, you know, and so this was really exciting to find us. And and Mark Ashton came too, and that's when I started my friendship with him. And then what year would have been that? That was also the eighties. So point. that was eighty five. Eighty five. And of course, the track that then became an enormous hit and stayed in the eighty-six. Yeah, we were 86. number. I think eight eight weeks we were number one. Yeah, don't lead me this way. Yeah, which I am sure most people listening to this will remember well. So fabulous, and I and I and I, know, I saw that you posted not long ago a reunion with Jimmy somewhere. I can't remember yes. where it was. Well, what what happens is now each year we get together a couple of times. Sit, really sit, he's now 60, and this started when he was 50, so 10 years. We've been getting together to do these 80s Rewind festivals and Let's Rock festivals. He now headlines them usually, and I come on as this bit of energy <laughs> and, and fire for that, that song. That song. So, and mm. he's, uh, he had a flat top back in 1986 when we made that video, and so... Being now a bald-headed red man, it doesn't look any different. He is the same size, <laughs> doesn't he? He cycles. He's still the vegetarian. There's Amazing. really nothing that's changed. He looks—he's Peter Pan. Oh. So up on stage, I'm someone who needs two new knees, but the adrenaline kicks in, <laughs> and I do all the dancing I ever did with him. I almost need two people to help me walk afterwards, <laughs> but the adrenaline. Takes me back to 1986. God, I remember even when you were in Happy End and you're dancing as you were singing and stamping on the yes. floor and you always had these big shoes. Yes. I mean, God knows what you did with your knees. But I mean, exactly. you and Jimmy Somerville, that was 
wonderful. And of course, then I asked you to get, uh, we were friends by then, yeah. and then I asked you to get involved with Catherine Hamlin's yes. show. Where you I, performed that I performed song. and she designed me a dress. So I did her first catwalk show, thanks to you, at the Natural History Museum. Right. And it was a black lycra dress. Yes, and you with came on with your red hair, just spilling out, doing that song. And um, and then I also got you to, uh, I remember when I launched the enormous next story. You got me to open that. I got you to open that and sing there. People were completely blown away. But what was so wonderful I'd... about that next, the next one was, uh, it was just at the point where I was uh, being sort of wined and dined by record companies on the back of having mm. the hit with Jimmy. And the publisher came along to that concert. Oh, right. And I got signed to Jive Records. Oh, so, really? Yes, from that? So from that. God, I didn't know that. Yeah. That was wonderful. Yeah. And then, of course, the big project we worked on together, What Women Want, yes. which was in, I always forget because I've got it up on the wall here, it was 85, 95. 95. It was, 95. It was no- yes, because I've got this wonderful picture of you with Otis in your arms when he was a baby, your son, and um, Sinead O'Connor, bless her, and Chrissy Hind and Glennis Kinnock and me standing there outside the festival hall, where, which I took over the whole South Bank, my sort of passion and naivety to put on the first big women's festival ever in the country for since suffragettes what women want and uh we had workshops and seminars over a period of two days over the whole of the south bank talking about women and their lives from from sexuality through to how to use the internet which we just started doing then to uh, women of the diaspora all sorts of things and then um ended with this fantastic concert on the saturday night it was amazing uh, it was amazing. And your friend Janet Street Porter, she did the, she filmed it. She filmed it, yes. Yes. And Janet, um, and Joe Brand Joe presented Brand, yes. it. And we had, it started with Sinead singing her Universal Mother album. Um, and, uh, Jermaine Greer coming on and doing the speech that Sinead had used for her album from Jermaine, which, and they'd never met at that point. Jermaine didn't really know what she was doing there. And the speech is it's always started off. I can never remember the whole thing. The opposite of patriarchy is not matriarchy, but fraternity. And that's how the whole concert started. Boom, 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 boom. And then Sinead came on. And, um, of course, yourself and Zach Mama, who are a fantastic, uh, wonderful band from Belgium, of uh, people from the, the Congo, Republic of Congo. The whole, um, Angeline uh, Kidjo, Angelique Kidjo. Kidjo, oh yes, wonderful. That's yes, right. I'd forgotten she was there too. Yeah, I mean, what a lineup, and we it went way over lineup. time. And yes. those lovely ladies that sort of run the kind of the letting you in and out of the festival hall were sort of popping away as well. And the whole audience of women and men of all ages were dancing away. And I think it didn't finish till after midnight. I remember being on the stage and giving thanks to the goddess for getting us all there. And yes. we had Irish nuns. We had yes, 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 didn't we? And we yeah. had uh, the wonderful Irish. Um, we had every, um, a big influence of Irish singers, uh, sacred singers. Um, it was just amazing. The whole event was amazing. So that was a great fun. And we tried to do it again fifteen years later, and it didn't quite happen. But that- well, we, if you recall, we were going to do it at the Union Chapel. And the reason why we couldn't do it in the end, because we got quite far along the lines of doing that again. They the chapel was, down. Well, they, they got themselves a new pastor who refused to, to let alcohol be served, served, sold in, in the church. Yes. And, 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 and it made it financially impossible for us to be yes, able to do it. Yes, that's right. 
But yeah. I, I also must men- mention Noreen Nurian, who is the sort of the Irish sacred singer, who was also on stage with us that night, bringing in the prayers and the Brigidine sisters. Um, yeah, it's, it's incredible. So, uh, however, it was an inspiration for Wow Women of the World, which subsequently launched at the South Bank and is still going um, with Jude Kelly running it, and is brilliant. So, I feel we were there planting the seeds in uh, in that year when we did it. And yeah, it was amazing. And then your career has evolved, of course. As I said, you've got a huge following in Italy. Um, you're traveling, you were traveling a lot. And then, of course, the pandemic came. I the mean, there's a lot of came. Oh, I, I also, should also mention Ronnie, Ronnie Scott's as well, because you've been a, a I've major. Been, I've been headlining there for 27 years, which is incredible in itself for a term. British woman. Yes jazz singer other than Cleo Lane <laughs> uh, but uh, to do be doing that I, I give you huge kudos for that and respect so tell me where you are now that's where we're so at. well um it took me a long time Lynn to become a good songwriter because in a way I had to start off where I'd left off which was as a an A-level student writing poetry and after I left Jive Records and, and I had my one of my singles banned by Radio One, oh, I yes. did a cover of Billy Paul's Me and Mrs. Jones. I love you singing Me and Mrs. Jones. I love <laughs> well, I've tried, because it was banned, I, I did start a, um, a succession of s- sort of versions of that. On each album I did, I put a version of that on. It was kind of, I, I suppose in a way, it was a kind of two fingers up to the BBC at the time. But... What it was, was uh, it had been okay because Jimmy and Richard and Frankie Goes to Hollywood, people like that, had fought the battle uh, for gay rights. It, it had been s- suddenly acceptable to to be a gay singer-songwriter, a, a, may, a homosexual, but no lesbian had come out at that point. Uh, it was about four years later that Katie Lang came out and was was sort of glorious. But at that point, they were terrified that I was a glamorous lesbian that was going to uh, advise people's daughters uh, of another way. And they were terrified of this. And that's why that song was sort of removed. And just at the point where it looked like, like my, um, my acting, my, my music life was over, I was asked to support Simply Red around Europe and that's kind of what got me my audience because my music wasn't too dissimilar from him. I was also a redhead, redhead. And um, Italy was his biggest market. And they treated me not like a support artist, but as a, as a, a main artist. And that year I got the freedom of the city of Verona. I, and I started headlining myself. And that's what really established me in Italy. And then the year after, I got asked to take part in, um, the San Remo uh, Song Festival, which takes Italian song, which is usually incredibly melodic. They usually collaborate with international artists, with an orchestra, and then the country votes for it. And I collaborated by co-writing a song with an Italian artist called Riccardo Cocciante, who went on to write the musical Notre Dame. But we won. And, 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 and funnily enough, um, Grace Jones was there and Grace Jones was singing with a band called Pooh. They came second, but somebody told Grace that she'd won an award and I was sort of pushed to one side while she went on a ticket award. Yes. 
oh, she's wonderful. But there was something got lost in translation. And I didn't ever get that award. Oh, how it's probably funny. probably a doorstop somewhere. Oh in my some, god! Somebody's but office. The fact is, you did win the San Remo song contest. Did win the San, and that also amazing. helped establish me. In it, it, it made me it, it made me famous in the front room. You know, yeah. so it wasn't just people of my age that I was playing to. It was grandmothers and children, and that helped establish me. And thank goodness for the Italians. Uh, because I don't think I'd probably have a career if I hadn't had that support. I play in Italy more than any other international artist. I do at least 25 concerts a year until Brexit. Brexit was the first nail in the coffin that made it virtually impossible for, for, for me to take a band abroad again to be able to afford it. Then came COVID, which also then stopped touring. And for the last two years, I've had very, very few concerts. Last year, I did four concerts in Italy as opposed to 25. And the cost of all of them, the tests and the isolation in a hotel in Italy and all of that, it took away any profit. So it's, it's incredibly difficult. And for most musicians like myself, even I'm fairly established, but I'm not the big, big continual pop star for us this is just how do we now make a living how do we continue and we're all having to think outside the box for touring musicians from all levels really it has been horrific i appreciate that and then all the people that support you as well i mean all the people that support me and also it's we have to think in a different way because of climate change as well. So, uh, so, me- so many things are now up for thinking about because it's how do we travel and uh, how do we do our bit too as well as survive. Yeah, and CDs are not selling because everybody's downloading. It's a whole different yes. world and it's, yes. it's painful because it's change. And we need music. We need the arts. Oh my God, we need it more than and ever. And we need to think outside the box. We mustn't be those people that tick the box. We've got to think outside the and box. And you've always been, an, uh, you've always t- ticked outside the box and you've always been a project singer-songwriter, as I was saying to you earlier, because it's not about just, I'll just write a song. There would always be a theme and a reason and of course, you had your big John Martin project. That was just before lockdown, wasn't it? I did, did just before lockdown. We were about to do a world tour starting the day of lockdown. Oh. And also, I was due for my first new knee. So uh, I was in hospital having the pre-op. I'd taken off six weeks for the recovery to be told by the nurse that actually you couldn't fly for three months. Oh my I knew God. I knew that all the tour had been booked flight-wise and the band. So I cancelled the knee operation and then of course uh, lockdown happened and the tour never happened. Uh, we were, we turned this into a, sh- a show. It was a really, John Martin died age 60. I had turned 60 and I wanted a break from writing the human story because some of the songs that I'd I'd written, I'd absorbed these terrible stories of, 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 of humanitarian crises across the world. Very painful. And I wanted a little bit of a break. So I thought, I'll take somebody else's body of work and I will celebrate them. So I knew he was a very complicated man and I knew a little about his history, not as much as I then found out by properly researching it. But Tony, my amazing guitarist, Tony Remy, who's my left-hand, right-hand man, he, I had to have a, an amazing guitarist touch the work of John Martin because he wasn't just a songwriter. He was an amazing guitarist, an innovative one. And so we chose 
12 songs of John's. We claimed them, we changed them. I even rewrote some of the lyrics. Uh, and we made this wonderful album, including some of the musicians from the Communards, uh, including the wonderful Jason Rebello, who's from near Bath. Then I did a benefit with uh, Mark Thomas. I did a, uh, it was a comedian's benefit, but it was to raise money. I can't actually remember what the course was, but we were talking backstage. He told me how much he loved jazz. We'd been friends for years. And I said, because I'd seen so many of his shows at the Edinburgh Festival, I said, I don't suppose you fancy helping me turn this into a theatre show. He jumped at the chance. We then went around the country with my brother Rod filming, uh, friends, family and musicians that work with John getting their story and turning it into part of the show. Which actually I saw in London. It was absolutely brilliant. It was great. And you, you learn a little bit more about him and the complication. And what I also explore and celebrate is Beverly Kuttner, who was his first wife, who he wrote a great deal with. And often she wasn't credited for these songs. And one of the songs I had been singing for years and probably it was the first John Martin song I'd ever recorded back in 1997. I'd always presumed that he'd written it in the time of the Vietnam War as a peace song. But speaking to Beverly, I found out that when they were living in Hastings, he'd become, uh, and he'd become very absorbed in, in the idea of evil. And he said to her that he wanted to write a song about evil. And she said back to him, I don't want to know about evil. I only want to know about love. Those are the lyrics of the song. And I didn't know he lived in Hastings, which is where you live now. I never knew that. Yes. And one of his songs, Over the Hill, was written on West Hill. You see? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know. So he, uh, he was a very complicated man. And I don't pass any judgment on the man that he was. I celebrate the genius he was as a songwriter. Huge following, huge, huge cult following in a way well, after he died. And what a voice. Mm. Oh, my goodness me. And what he could write was the tragic love song. And in fact, he was only really at peace on stage. You can see that. But what happened was he took it to the Edinburgh Festival. We won an award. So that would have been what we were touring the next couple of years obviously it's it's history now but we did make a great double vinyl and i duetted may you never with eddie reader mm. who had worked with john had a friendship with him and uh, it was lovely to 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 once a again beautiful connection with her. Beautiful, beautiful connection, connection. absolutely so, so then that you're right i then was project based and i thought right i'm in my 60s now what do i want to do i want to do this is when I'm at my peak. Mm -hmm. I want to get the most out of these 10 years. I have to tell you, it, life doesn't stop at 70. No, I, I know. I'm just wondering what happens to the voice at 70. Uh, well, but at the moment, and with a bit of luck, because uh, I, for most of the artists that I followed and loved, their voice gets lower and lower. I've already got the baritone That's voice. <laughs> I'm just going to disappear off the level. But what I wanted to do was do a different project each year if I could. But what, I, what happened was last Christmas, we're in another lockdown. And what do I do? I don't have a television. My husband and I read to each other a great deal. And I just suddenly thought, I, I don't want to write about Brexit. I don't want to write about COVID. And I haven't yet come up with the perfect angle to write about climate change. So what do I do that's going to keep us sane 
over these months. So I thought, actually, I'd love to celebrate the female singer-songwriters that paved the way for somebody like me to even be able to do this. And then some of them aren't properly in the history books as they should be because they made such a mark on musical history. And this is The Sisterhood. which This is, is called The Sisterhood. Yeah. So what happened was I asked Mark if he, if he minded the two of us sort of doing a project together. Just re- it was really just to get us through the lockdown. Uh, that's how it started. And uh, I ordered biographies, autobiographies, once I'd made the list of 10. And we watched so many DVDs and listened to music all the way through while I read to him and we both made notes. And we fell in love with each and every one of these singers in a way that I, I already, you know, I already love their music, but their journeys were amazing. And can you, can you tell us who they are? Yes. Of course you can. So Bessie Smith, Billie Holiday, Nina Simone, Miriam McCaber. Aretha Franklin, Janis Joplin, Joni Mitchell, Ricky Lee Jones, Annie Lennox, and Kate Bush. Wow. What an amazing, amazing group of genius. And they wouldn't be everyone's uh, choice, but they were mine. And my life links and, and, and it's like a snake all the way through their lives too. Some of them I got to know. Some of them I even worked with, but on the whole, they inspired me. And so we, we wrote them incredibly respectfully. We did so much research. We didn't want to go into the gossip side of any of their lives because there was plenty of that. We wanted to show what journey they'd had and who they were. So we write their life story in a beautiful song format. Then Tony, once lockdown was over, Tony came down to stay because we've got an Airbnb room. And he came and stayed. He set up on the same sofa that Mark was on. He set up his laptop. In the first lockdown, he'd learned how to use Logic, which is a recording device on his laptop. I had bought a decent microphone because I'd done a lot of recording from home. I sat on the other sofa. My brother, Rod, who's a filmmaker, came along and filmed me talking to, to Tony and explaining what I had found out about this singer and then reading him the lyrics and then saying, I think we should write each one of these stories in the genre, musical genre, that they belong, that they come from. So it goes musically right across the board. And then it became a really interesting I see project. it as a series on Netflix or Sky. I mean, I definitely see it as, as a series uh, on TV, which is what we're... It's, it's a documentary. It totally it's is. a radio series. It could be a theatre piece. Mm. And it, it can go on and on. But what it's, it's about, it's that passing of the torch mm. from one generation to another of these wonderful mm. women who made a difference. I remember seeing Nina Simone. In Ronnie Scott's before before she so passed away, I saw her twice. Yeah, at I Ronnie saw Scott's. her twice in Ronnie Scott. Both both times she walked off. Yes, because she, she had this she had this notion that if people were talking, yeah. it was disrespectful to her music, and she would she walk get off. so but, angry. Was she was an angry woman? But <laughs> what a powerful woman! Amazing. But uh, but what I then realised, having 
written it, and we are so pleased with what we wrote, was I suddenly thought, well, I know that this is something that can run and run, and it is so empowering, and it has been such a pleasure to do. I'm going to turn this into an album first. I've got not a penny because I haven't worked for two years. So I dared to do something because I'm one of those people that if I start to picture something, I make it happen. So I booked a studio and dates, knowing I had no money, thinking I'm now going to find the money. So what I did was, because I, I, I've got no trading, I, was, I, I thought, what can I offer that people are going to want to pay a little bit more than they would normally pay for to take part in? But yet I've never trained as a singer. So I can't offer them the normal singing lessons, whatever. So I put together a package that I thought would interest people, but I wasn't sure it was going to work. I found a location, a wonderful, it, it was a converted bank. A friend of mine had her studio there. So I paid her for that. Mark did all of the cooking. We did a, a vegan uh, lunch and evening meal uh, with all, all of my friends that did Airbnb. I booked all of their, their rooms. This was in Hastings, was it? St. Hastings and St. Leonard's, where I am. And I put, for one hour, I put up on Facebook an advert for uh, 14 singers or people that would like to sing to come and take part in this weekend where I would teach them the three-part harmonies to four of my songs that they would then sing at Ronnie Scott's with me last week. And you did that. And you've called them the Morris Singers, which I I've called them the Morris Singers. But it was a wonderfully empowering weekend. Some of the people I knew, one was my Pilates teacher, another was my yoga teacher that I'd met on a retreat when I came down to Somerset to do a retreat. Brilliant. Somebody came from Manchester, Exeter, you name it, they travelled, and they didn't know each other. One was a, a barrister. Anyway, they were really interesting people. Some of them had never sung before, but it it was a good feeling. The food was great. The weekend was great. And then they came and sung with me last weekend. Wonderful. So I delivered, but it paid for the studio. Amazing. Then because I'd been doing Airbnb all last year in our spare room, we did a great breakfast and we, I've, because I trained to be a, an interior designer for a short while, Mark has allowed me to do that in our converted shop, which is our house. You've got such style. I, I love what you're doing. I can see it in this Zoom. I mean, it's an incredible mixture. Of so I love that clashing of colours. And Anyway, we had such lovely guests in the time that you were allowed to. I kept all of that money aside, even though we kind of needed it to live on. I knew I was going to need it for this project. That paid for my four musicians to come and do the recording. John Martin's sister, who became part of our project on him, is the most glorious woman. And she's really been very supportive. And her two sons, who have a band called Grace and Danger, which is the title of one of his albums, John's albums, I've been trying to help establish them and, and sort of nurture them. She had us each night... Because I, I, I found the accommodation for the band. I couldn't afford to take them out for a meal. She had us over and cooked us supper every evening of the recording session as her input into making this album happen. And, and the whole project has been received in this good way. But now I've got to find the money to have, uh, I want to have the uh, strings and Enrico Malozzi that I did an album with 14 cellos. 
he is a wonderful string arranger. I want him to arrange the strings on Nina Simone's song and the Joni Mitchell song. I need brass. I need percussion. I need keyboards. And it's a different keyboard player for each. For Miriam McCabe's song, I want to use Mervyn Africa because Mervyn Africa now lives in Johannesburg. But it was him. It was at the time that I joined Artists Against Apartheid. He was uh, he was a black South African musician that I started to work with. He lived in Brixton. That was another place we worked together because I did PR for Artists Against Apartheid. Well, I was going out with Dali Tambo, who was Oliver Tambo's son. Didn't we put that big event on in Clapham Common? We did. Yeah. If you remember, we used Harry Belafonte as, as the face for the press as well. He got involved. It was Harry Belafonte that took Miriam McCaber to America, that politicised her. And it was Miriam McCaber that went to the United Nations and convinced them to boycott South Africa. Wow. She is so important and she's incredibly important in my journey because so much of my early music was African music. I love Miriam McCaber. Mama Africa, as they call her, invites Mother African. And the song I have written about her is so powerful and it requires the Soweto Gospel Choir, who I had on my Bloody Rain album um, of the song Coltrane. She was married to Hugh Masekela. They both came to, they both came to London to perform in King Kong the Musical, which was written by John Machikiza's father. John Machikiza is the person that got me involved in the Republic. How amazing. So I'm going to stop now and bring you back again in a minute because I wanted to play a second track. And uh, you have recommended this wonderful song that you did record with the Soweto, yes, Soweto Gospel, Gospel Choir, Choir, who you are going to work with again, because we can see it, so we know it's going to we happen. We can picture it. Well, I want, to put, I want to present Miriam McCabe's song to South Africa as the gift to celebrate the queen that she was. She was exiled for longer than Nelson Mandela was locked away. She was never allowed back, and it's... She needs to be celebrated properly. So let, let's get into the mood of that with this song that you have done from your Bloody Rain album. So this song is a very powerful song and it does feature the fantastic voices of the Soweto Gospel Choir, which will make you understand why I need to have them on Miriam's song. It's called Coltrane. <laughs>
train carries young and old African men who are conscripted to come and work on contract in the gold and the mineral mines of Johannesburg and its surrounding metropolis.
Well, well, I'm dancing in my seat. So that one is fantastic. So it will happen. You will get them again. Are they all in South Africa now? Yes. And what I'm wanting to do, because I I started a crowdfunder um, on GoFundMe. And uh, for that, I wanted to raise the money for the Soweto Gospel Choir, but also to pay for my brother. I've never been to South Africa. I, I spent £1,000 more on my contract with Jive Records to make sure I didn't sell in South Africa during apartheid. And so that was the time, obviously, I was invited over. I haven't been invited since. I would love to go. So I would love to be able to fly with Tony, stay with Dali and his wife, and possibly do a, a pop-up concert, but get Rod to film us with the Soweto Gospel Choir so that's what my GoFundMe on uh, is, is is raising the money for. And then uh, a really a, a lovely man that I I really met through my manager. He has a venue, and it's just outside of Milton Keynes, which isn't where I would possibly normally play. But he has donated a venue to me. Uh, he used to work for Yamaha, so the equipment is wonderful, and it's a a venue that contain that can hold a hundred people. It's got great equipment. He's donated this to me so that I can do a crowdfunding concert. The date we've booked is Saturday, the 26th of February. And what will happen is I'm selling tickets through my website for this, for the sisterhood. It'll be the first time that myself and a nine-piece band perform those songs from this album. It's a hundred pounds a ticket. That's not cheap. But what it does is if I sell 80 tickets, it pays for all of the musicians that are taking part and for the rehearsals involved because it takes a lot to be able to rehearse people in that understand each and every one of those songs. And then the 60, after paying for the first 20, which pays for that, the 60 will pay for the mixing and the mastering of the album. So I'm really needing, even if people feel they'd like to be part of this project but don't, feel that they can travel to Milton Keynes or near near Milton Keynes, they could buy a ticket for someone or they could just buy it so that it helps that happen because I need to sell all 80 of those tickets to make really little sense. Well, we're going to have all the details of how to apply for these tickets on the various paperwork that goes out with this podcast. So if I can get to Milton Keynes, I will. I can tell you, it's gonna, I know it's going to be an incredible We've also event. got a deal with a hotel there. So if people wanted to make an evening, we can actually, my manager can set them up with it. But on my GoFundMe, what I'm offering is, because my husband is an artist, we're offering um, original pen and ink drawings framed uh, of Annie Lennox or Aretha Franklin. We're offering one day or weekend uh, stays in our place while Mark teaches people to draw. We're offering uh, a private concert in our home. Mark's an amazing cook. They stay the night. We talk. We do a private concert. We're offering all of these different options for people to take part. Wow. It just sounds so good. It sounds so good. And I'm sincerely holding the vision of you coming and doing something here. I'd love to. Later this year in the se- at the Seed Hub where we could also do a bit of fundraising as well and, and spread the story. So it's such an amazing time. So thank you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you because you've been an inspiration to me, my well, dear friend. Just talking with you. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you very much, Sarah Jane, for saying that. But it's interesting, as we've had this talk, remembering 
all the times that our careers have come together, whether it's Artists Against Apartheid, Red Wedge, What Women Want, it's been an amazing journey to be on with you. And, oh, and also a billion women rising. Oh my God. Thank you for reminding me. One billion rising. So we, yes. which we're going to be doing something with one billion rising again this year on the 14th of February, which is the incredible initiative that goes on all around the world, created by V, formerly Eventsler. And it's about drawing attention through art and culture, um, and the spoken word to the horrific situation that happens to women and girls across this planet, uh, the violence, sexual violence, and how we can make changes. And, of course, you came and performed when I did a big event in Marble Arch and held the track. And then I got involved with with that in uh, Margate. I took part. Oh, did you? Did it? Yes. Yeah, yes. No, that's brilliant. Yes. Yeah, I was running one billion rising over here. That was, which we, as I say, we are going to do something this year with that, which we're going to make uh, some digital. Um, inf- we're going to, inter- I hope you're going to interview either V or Monique Wilson. Anyway, we're going to put that out on the podcast coming up in February and hope people will do a One Billion Rising event wherever they are. So, wow, what a story. It's just incredible. I know we can go on and on and will. One last thing I want to ask you, which I'm asking all my guests on this series, is about the future. We know we're going through a period of change. It has been a difficult, challenging time for artists, musicians like yourself, for, for everybody really. And we have to use this time to create a new future for the young generation that are coming through. Because as tough as it's been for everybody, I think the youth really are suffering the most. And they they really have. And they are not having, and they're not going to grow into the sort of amazing life of all possibilities as we had. I think one of the most important things for our survival is community. And I think the more that we share and barter and help and be even be aware of who our neighbors are. And if we, if we, we very much, we, we buy all of our food from local shops, uh, and we try and support each other. And I love being part of this community here in St. Leonard's. I'm sure it's similar to the community that you've got there, but there's a big worldwide community that we can, you know, we can connect with each other through the internet. And it's about, constantly putting out that positive and connecting. That's, that's beautiful. And that is exactly, of course, what we do believe at Seed through our Seed network of amazing women who are networked in, in Wincanton, but beyond across the country and, and to a certain extent internationally. And that's exactly what I believe. So let's keep talking, keep dreaming and make those dreams come alive. Thank you very, very much, Sarah Jane. It has been such a pleasure and such a wonderful opportunity for me to indulge in all the memories that we have together over the years. And I am really looking forward to you coming here some point in 2022 and doing a live event with your great musicians. And we'll come up with some idea between the two of us. We can make this work. So God bless and much love. And and to you, darling. Thank you. Namaste. Namaste. Talking to Sarah Jane reminds me of how much live music we have missed of our favourite artists over the lockdown period. So I would suggest as an exercise that you have a look at what is playing near you, what music is on, who and where are the artists, the musicians that you love and that you would like to go and be inspired by. So may I suggest that a seed exercise to go with this wonderful 
podcast is finding a live event, whether it's in your local park, whether it's in the local pub, or it's a fantastic concert put on at a venue near you, and go and enjoy and remember the importance of live music in your life. Thank you so much for listening and indeed taking part in this great podcast with Sarah J. Morris listening to all her ideas and the many times that she and I have worked together on causes we really believe in over the years. Remember, we're going to be putting up episodes every two weeks with Lynn Franks and friends, and we hope you will come back to us again. If you like what you hear and want to learn more practical methods to help you plant the seeds in your own empowerment journey, then please do subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it. Also, you might want to join our Seed Network, our Seed Tribe, if you haven't already. And together with thousands of like-minded women, you can make friends, promote your businesses, share your stories, share your dreams and ideas, and work together to make them come true. Visit seednetwork.com to find out more. And until then, I'll see you next time on Frankly Speaking with Lynn Franks and Friends. Bye.